Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you are listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the birds are prey are back, brightest day style. It's the end of the line for Captain America. Conan takes over the Marvel Universe. Una guerra entre demonios y anales. Are you comic books being written? by necromancers plus more 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 with a rebel yell because the major spoilers podcast is in the midnight ah! and it's on the air welcome to issue 863 of the major spoilers podcast thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week and big apologies for no show last week uh yeah. had a household full of uh, sick people and uh just didn't feel like uh having happy fun talk when i've got kids with high temperatures and and uh, complaining about rumbly, rumbly tummies. So we were taking care of that instead of uh, instead of recording podcasts for you. So I apologize for that. But we're all back here this week to talk about good times. And Rodrigo is here this week. And Matthew is here this week. There's Rodrigo. Hey, Rodrigo. Hey, sorry, I was muted. again. No, that's fine. And Matthew <laughs> is here this week. I am also muted. And of course, Rodrigo, or of course, Ashley is here. And we love having <laughs> Ashley here as well. I'm Rodrigo. I pronounce Spanish words properly. There you go. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I know that was aimed at me. No, it's because it's I absolutely cannot pronounce Spanish words to save my life. Oh, okay. Let us get into some news. Oh, we got some weird, weird collection of items we can talk about this week. We can talk about Cullen Bunn as a necromancer. Death metal is coming. And throw a coin to your animated Witcher. Let's spin that wheel of morality and find out where we land. I know a lot of people are like, what's this thing about uh, Cullen Bunn is a necromancer? And it kind of started out as a joke, or it ended up as being a joke. But here's the thing that I think is really, really weird, especially in this day and age, and especially with... Um, some well-known writers, or I think Cullen Bunn is a well-known writer at this point. We've been talking about... I mean, I would say so. Uh, we've been yeah, talking about The Sixth Gun, and we've been talking about uh, uh, Harrow County and so many of his other projects uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, Cullen Bunn sent out this tweet thread about, an editor called me last night to tell me that someone is telling editors and publishers that he, Cullen Bunn, uses ghost writers. Not ghost writers, like, you know, the Marvel character guy, but ghost right, right. writers, meaning... You have somebody else writing all your stories for you and you just put your name on it. So this person's going right. around saying, oh, and he goes on to say, he goes, hey, here's some of the, you know, this book that uh, Cullen Bunn wrote. No, that was really me. I was really the writer on that. Wow. And, and so I'm just really, really surprised. He, uh, you know, very professionally did not call this person out. But the impact was that he has had a couple of editors questioning him on this and also uh, potentially not getting picked up for potentially. Uh, this could cost him future jobs um, because of this. And it's really, really weird, number one, that people would try to take credit for someone else's work. Now, I know that Cullen Bunn is a writing fool. Uh, that's, you know, it is, it's pretty amazing to see how much stuff he writes and how quickly he writes. But if you're on a roll, you can get a lot of stuff done in a very short amount of time. Um, so I'm, I'm really, I 
don't know. Ashley, is this is this happening a lot? Has has this happened uh, to people that you know where someone else is trying to claim that? Oh no no no, that person paid me to write it and just put their name on it. No, but I have seen particularly in uh, the romance novel prose book world, um, and particularly in um, sort of witchy stuff and spiritual stuff that uh, a lot of people who are ghostwriters or a lot of companies that use ghostwriters and are stealing from other mm, mm-hmm. uh, established authors and just changing some words are coming out. I'm sh- honestly like shocked that this has happened. Uh, the conspiracy theory theorist in me, um, the part that is wearing my tinfoil hat and looking up to Steven, um, suspects that this might be because uh, Cullen Bunn is a rather progressive, forward-thinking gentleman ah. uh, who is very vocal about what mm-hmm. he believes in and his philosophies and that this might be a calculated shot at him. But he's the only person I've seen suffer from this so far. Uh, but I think most people who know Cullen know that he's not that guy. Yeah. And I think he'll, I think it's a bummer and I think it's like a, a crappy thing to happen, but I think he will weather the storm. Okay. Yeah. Now I certainly understand that, you, you know, this plagiarism thing that you're bringing up is a totally different thing that really is right. shocking, and, and I'm shocking not, but not I'm shocking. I'm not maligning ghost, not maligning ghost writing either. That is no, a, no, no. I mean, look at a part of the publishing industry when it's done legitimately it's yeah, for a long it, time. Uh, and, and that's also fine. Yeah. Like Tom Clancy but. novels. I, I don't I think it's Tom Clancy novels or um, I forget well, the other one, but it's like the licenses the name out. Uh, so for people especially, to write those books. especially when you get to nonfiction books, like uh, especially autobiographies are very frequently written by ghost writers yes. uh-huh. because, you know, Superstar baseball players, or mm-hmm. you know, yeah, pilots, yeah. or whatever, often are or not also stars. superstar writers. Mm-hmm. So they hire someone to basically write the book for them. They make a few changes. Money is exchanged, and part of the agreement is, and also your name is not going to be on this, and that factors into how much they're paid. Yeah. Um, and then that's that. And yeah, it's been a publishing thing for a very long time. Yeah, I have no problem with ghostwriting. In fact, I think uh, ghostwriting. I mean, it goes back a long, long ways. But I do remember that um, there's some question on whether H.P. Lovecraft has written some stuff under the name of um, Harry Houdini or vice versa. I can't remember what it is. So this goes back a really a long ways. And I don't have a problem with ghost writers. What I have a problem with and what is the weirdest part here is someone who, you know, produces consistent quality work and right. who has a style that is easy to recognize uh, yes. or easily yeah, recognizable. Yeah, yeah. Someone is coming along and saying, no, he didn't write that. I did. That is just number one, a horrible thing. But uh, now that you've mentioned Ashley, maybe uh, I'm starting to lean into your, maybe I need to go grab my tinfoil hat as well. And we can sit uh, down in the basement. (laughs) I don't want to court any controversy, but that uh, when this all came out, that was the first thing I I thought of. Yeah. 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 Matthew, you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I think that in a lot of ways, it's a symptom of, something that we see a lot in the comics industry. It's the everything behind closed doors kind of clandestine take on things where, you know, an editor doesn't reach out to Cullen and say, Hey, Cullen, we wanted Mm -hmm. to, you know, we want to talk about this. It's a guy who knows a guy who's like, yeah, I have a friend who'll do this. And, you know, you get to a point where even his announcement, and I, I appreciate the fact that he did not come out and say, this person said this and the editor who brought it to my attention was this person. But there's also a question of, you know, why not? 
on on some level, why not? Why not, you know, have sunlight disinfect some of this nonsense? And part of it is because the comics industry won't stand for that. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. so much of this stuff is, you know, magical uh, backroom smoke-filled areas. And you you know a guy and he talks to a guy and, you know, you once uh, sat next to Brian Bendis at a, at a dinner and, you know, now you're writing Spider-Man. I don't know. But I wow. feel like this this is the problem is that Cullen has a ridiculously specific style. He has a voice and the implication here is somehow that someone could come in and perfectly replicate that voice and do part of his work. That's, that's not believable to me. Yeah. So somebody had made a crack that, you know, perhaps uh, if he's hiring ghost writers, you know, like ooh, ghosts, uh, he must be a necromancer. So I started doing some jabs back and forth at him, uh, especially when he put out this uh, tweet. He goes, this is uh, this is especially upsetting uh, coming off of uh, Scriptocalypse, uh, during which I wrote nearly 300 pages in the month of January. Maybe I should have found a ghostwriter. I might have had more free time. And then I started going off like, hey, I heard that uh, Colin Bunn's a necromancer. He did, after all, write 300 pages in, a, in the month of January. Uh, yeah, Colin Bunn actually died while he did yes. that. Yes. And he's, right. he's his own ghostwriter now. Yes. Ooh, Ooh scary, scary stuff, stuff kids. kids. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. But I, I think this is really weird. And I think that if anyone is believing this, I mean, until it's proven, I would just say, yeah, I, I would have a hard time believing, believing this. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. if this is the case, then, you know, like, uh, Prove person it. who's accusing, yeah, name, name, where are the receipts? Like, we've yeah. all been in situations where we've known things are sketchy, but you go ahead with them anyway. And, you know, if you are smart about it and you're looking out for your own well, best interest, then you have kept your receipts and you've screenshotted stuff. So, like, all this person has to do to prove that they're not just uh, a giant turd bag is, uh, you know, share a couple images. I mean, that is... That's a... not what's happening, so... Right, so in addition to Sully and Cullen Bunn's name, this is also the weirdest flex I've ever seen for a hire me pitch, right? Hire totally. me because I'm the guy who wrote oh XYZ. God. I mean, isn't that the that's, weirdest thing? I, you know, that's actually... I would say that's weirdly common. I've heard a lot of, um, you know, people, like, cracking up you know, where somebody is like, somebody will bring in, like for a graphic designer, they'll bring in, they'll bring in their portfolio and you can tell that like some mascot they drew is like the vault boy from Fallout. And yeah. they just mm-hmm. like expect that you won't know that. Mm. You know, so yeah. it's like, so people do that. It's weird to come to a comic book editor mm-hmm. and, and, but, but also it's like, if it's someone in the big two, they might think, ah, well, Cullen Bunn writes, you know, in not for Marvel or DC. So maybe they don't know about him. Yeah, but yeah. everybody in the he industry. He had a I mean, long run at Marvel. Yeah, don't, oh, well, all, these, don't all these editors don't know talk with one another? Before. Yeah, don't Obviously, all these editors talk with one ignorant. another? Yeah, I, I just like, like I said, that's the weirdest flex on a hire me kind of thing. I mean, that's really ballsy. Uh, so and, I mean, uh, you'd be you'd be better off just tweeting like whatever book they want. Like they'd be better off being like, I have a better Magneto pitch than Colin Bunn ever thought about writing, and it's X Y Z. Like that would I mean it won't get you anywhere. Let's be honest, but that would get you further than right. maligning someone who does work very hard and is very talented yeah. and is a lovely human. Like as someone who has gone to him for advice as a younger, newer creator. Like you, if you wanted Colin Bunn's attention, you could have just been like, "Hey, I wrote a comic. Can I send it to you?" And speaking from experience, he'll look at it. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, every interaction I've had with him, and I've had very little, 
a lot less than than Ashley or probably anybody else in this panel. But he's always been very nice and very respectful. Yeah, I like the uh, the cakes that are named after him, the honey buns. Those are good. Yeah. I think I think the what this really is, and what you have to look at is Stephen's point is entirely valid. It's like the kid who brings his uh, book full of John Byrne tracings to a. a comic convention and ask people to tell him how his work is it's clear that it's not your work and everybody knows that it's not your work and when you try and trade on cullen bunn's reputation it's not going to take too long before it becomes clear that you're not cullen bunn's ghostwriter you're not anywhere near cullen bunn and so my thinking is yeah hire that person put them on something high profile and point out who they are and say here's the person who wrote those cullen bunn stories allegedly but I'm also a jerk, so. I, I heard that uh, Akira Yoshida had a ghostwriter. Ooh. <laughs> I heard that too, actually. <laughs> For those of you who aren't in the know, Matthew or Rodrigo, would you like to pull, pull aside the curtain and... Sure. Akira Yoshida is actually an alias used by current Marvel editor-in-chief C.B. Sobolski when he was writing for Marvel in the 1990s, pretending to be a man from Japan. And so what he did was he took the name of the Japanese movie that everybody liked and the last name of the only Japanese X-Man, turned it into his alter ego, and wrote comics for Marvel for several years. Some people believe that he did this maliciously. He says, oh no, it was just youthful japes tee-hee. Actually, I think he also said there was a policy about um, editors couldn't write um, any of the books for Marvel. So that was another reason why he did it. But yes. Um, or uh, let's make one that's a less troublesome reference. Yes. I heard all of Clamp had a ghostwriter. <laughs> that's a studio. <laughs> uh, I heard Stephen had a ghostwriter for all my good jokes. <laughs> Yes, uh, for all of back your, to our your top five meanest things Matthew's ever. Said. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Wait, is that mean to him or is that mean to me? I think it's just mean. Who knows? <laughs> knows? That, that is like that is almost like a smarter thing to do. Is like I, I, I feel like that would it's still not smart, but to be like, have you ever heard of Clamp? I'm one of them. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, have you ever I, heard have of heard Udon? Have you ever heard I'm of Caroline King who wrote, or Caroline Keene who wrote All the Nancy Drews? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one of them. <laughs> that's, that's totally me. Well, you know, this is this is the uh, girlfriend in Canada of comic book writing. Hey, she it, died. I told you she died. Speaking yeah, of it is still, I, it, it, maybe, it was a maybe 35 years. We had a contract. <laughs> maybe 35 like years, take, but she's still dead. It still hurts. Uh, speaking of Canadian, I'd like to take a step back and ask dear Ashley what that letter that comes after Y is again, because it it, it's adorable when you say that. Yours is the, uh, this is the only country in the world that says Z, so you're wrong. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, quick I'm question. Being wrong. I'm from Kansas. I mean, come on. <laughs> quick, quick question. So in America, there is the, I had a girlfriend, she's from Canada, you don't know her. Is there right. the opposite thing in Canada? Is it, oh, I've got a girlfriend from America. You wouldn't know her. I feel like it was, uh, it, you know, I'm very young. So I feel like it was just, a, oh, I, it's a boy. I, I'm dating someone from online from X, oh. Y, wherever. Yeah, I guess yeah, that changes things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's from Alaska. He came here yeah. from on a He's land He's from Saskatchewan. Bridge. You've never heard of him. He's in the yes. Yukon, just very far away. Just can't get to him. <laughs> Yep, it's too far. It's too All far. right. I, uh, I do know someone who lives in the Yukon. Yeah, very far away. Can't get to him. <laughs> I know someone who drives a Yukon and she hates it. Wow. <laughs> All right, listeners, uh, we'd love for you to weigh in on this. You can head over to our Discord channel. 
and you can uh, chat all you want. So many cool people that are hanging out over there, and occasionally you may see some of us pop in to have a conversation. I think Rodrigo hangs out in the Critical Hit uh, discussion group quite a bit. Uh, yes. So if you're into that, you guys were, oh man, these guys this weekend. Man. Uh, seven owls wise for over 24 hours. Seven owls wise puns. And I, I, is... I really consider just killing seven owls wise. <laughs> like having him get struck by a meteor. Oh, they don't, don't know think yet. Oh. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, you can find Rodrigo hanging out in the critical hit. I'm usually bouncing around between a whole bunch of things. If you are a VIP or a Patreon member at the gold level and higher, when we do our live chats each month, you've got a special channel that you can go in and uh, interact with us there. Uh, if you want to listen to the Dueling Review podcast that Matthew and I record, we record that yeah. live Thursday nights at eight o'clock. There's a Discord channel specifically for our patrons there. Um, and there's a whole bunch of extra stuff that you can get when you become a patron uh, in our Discord channel. And if you become a patron, patreon.com slash major spoilers, you also get access to not one, but very soon two short run, limited edition, I guess, a limited run uh, RPG podcast that we are putting up. The first one, Shadow of the Demon Lord, is up there now if you're into that real play stuff. And then there's another one coming up. I think it's in March. I, I hope it doesn't launch this month. I'm pretty sure I launched it in March. Uh, but that is coming up very soon as well. And all the proceeds go right back into making major spoilers grow. And that then in turn means that we are making more stuff for you. So it's a win-win when you become a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let us jump into some reviews. Let's see. What do we got here? Let's look at stuff from last week. Matthew, what do you got from last week? I got me a comic book. All right. It's a comic book about the end of the universe for one of the uh, Marvel heroes. I think you and I recently did, yeah, we Doctor, did uh, Strange. Doctor Strange the end. They've done X-Men the end. Um, this think... issue came to my... Uh, came to my attention because apparently it credits the wrong creator for Captain America. Uh, they credit Captain America to uh, Lee oh, right, and Stanley. Kirby mm -hmm. rather than uh, Kirby and uh, uh, the other guy. Yeah. My brain is completely gone. Uh, now. Crash Bandicoot. Uh, Joe Simon. Yeah. Simon and Kirby. It's not Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> Captain America, the end, number one, written by Eric Larson, drawn by Eric Larson, colored by Eric Larson, lettered by Eric Larson, Wait, edited Savage, by Savage, someone who does Savage Dragon Eric Larson? The very same. Oh, and man, is this you, thing all over the place then? Yep. Oh, <laughs> if man. you read I Savage love it when you guys do Savage Dragon on Dueling Review. They're like my favorites. <laughs> you know, since the 90s, I've had a love-hate relationship with Savage Dragon because Eric Larson works in a very classic 70s Marvel and DC style. And there will be issue-long arcs of nothing where things happen or things don't happen. It's just doodly-doodly-doo. And then all of a sudden, for 10 issues, it's ultimate cosmic doom. And then, you know, for five issues, it's, hey, I can't eat Brussels sprouts. And then for like three issues, it's, I'm going to have sex with five different women. And <sighs> Savage Dragon is kind of all over the place. And Savage Dragon is a long-form storytelling kind of thing. It's 250 issues deep. And so it can get away with that. You can have a, a weird issue or a slow issue or a creepy issue. This is clearly one that is based around a single uh, visual. This book was written to give us the visual that we see on page 20 or so, because this is a story about Captain America in a crapsack future, 
uh, fighting for the last remaining humans in a world where basically the Red Skull has become a zombie virus. So anyone who is injured or breathes too hard or is cut by someone who has this virus turns into a Red Skull and tries to destroy Captain America. So the first 10 pages of the book are literally just Captain America fighting hundreds of Red Skulls, tall ones, uh, thin ones, short ones, female Red Skulls, old Red Skulls, a Red Skull in a baseball uniform for reasons which remain obscure. But I'm taking as a reference to uh, The Warriors from 1979. It's a great movie. You should check it out. But here's the thing. It's... um, it's um it's 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 thin um there's not much in the way of plot and the plot that we do get is captain america discovers uh, the last bastions of humanity and my daughter pointed out to me a few years ago how much she hated cartoons and i said why and she said because it's always this carefully balanced group of boys and girls and every person comes from a specific ethnic group so that there's always that you know group where everyone has their representation and it's that dark side of things where we want to make sure that all of the people are representative i believe that that's a perfectly fine thing that is something that you absolutely need in your stories and i believe that when it happens in this book where we're like okay here's the planeteers and the the whole group, and they're the last survivors of humanity, and they're led by an elderly Jewish man named Abe with a gun, and they're all being attacked by the Red Skull. And I'm like, boy, that metaphor hit me really hard. Is my nose bleeding? But if you like seeing someone doing Jack Kirby riffs page after page after page, this is definitely visually a treat. This is something where you you want to see this book if you love Kirby riffs. There's a helicarrier in here that's wrecked. There's a, a long shot of New York with a wrecked Statue of Liberty, just like Planet of the Apes. There's a lot of Captain America leaping at things. And then, of course, there is the visual for which they made this book when we discover that the villain behind it all is a red skullified Modoc. You guys know what Modoc looks like, right? Yeah. Like Frank. Yeah, Modoc as a Red Skull. That's why this book was written. That's why this book was drawn. And that's why this book kind of comes apart. Because the buildup to Modoc is like, oh, something's going on. Something's going on. And then they're like, ah, it's Modoc. Oh, wait, we've discovered a cure. Okay, bye. (laughs) I think that the whole concept of uh, the end miniseries is weird anyway. It's nice that they're trying to give comics an ending, but so many times, as with what ifs, everybody dies screaming. And I feel like this is a book that really wants to defy the expectation that everybody dies screaming. And that's great. And it wants to give us uh, a story that has elements of the modern sociopolitical life. So there are references to, you know, this, this crap sack world came about because of a global, a global climate catastrophe because of fake news, because of all of the things that people will tell you are a problem in the year 2019 when it was written. All of these things combined to destroy the universe so that Captain America could fight a hundred red skulls. And man, once you get to the point where you're like, okay, yeah, that's a thing. I want to see Captain America fight a hundred red skulls. And then three pages in, you're like, okay, now I want to see a story 
And that, mm-hmm. that kind of doesn't happen. So I will tell you that it, it is a good looking book. It is visually fun. And if you have the love hate relationship that I do with Captain America, you do need to check this out simply because it's kind of a tour de force of nonsense. And it ends with Captain America saying, it doesn't hurt a bit. It feels like freedom. And he, he looks for all the world like Clint Eastwood. And that's why this book gets two slices of meatloaf. <laughs> I don't know, you guys. I I, I want to say check it out, but I don't want to be responsible for the brain cells that may or may not survive the experience. So if it sounds like your jam, I think you should check it out. It's not... It's not so bad it's good, but it's also not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not it's not exactly bad. It's so yeah, that's that's <laughs> that that should be a plug right there. Put that on the cover of the book and see if anybody buys it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, also out last week from Marvel Comics, Conan Battle for the Serpent Crown number one. Uh, from uh, uh, some people over there at Marvel. And listen, I was not uh, really sold, and I was still, I don't think I'm still completely sold on the idea of let's bring Conan from wherever he is in Samaria and whatever time and place and space that is, and let's bring him into the Marvel modern universe and uh, let's see how he deals. Uh, but they kind of got me a little sold on it when I read this. And from Conan's perspective, he's just in another strange land. Uh, I like that. He's not trying to fit in with society and ordering, you know, slices of pizza or, you know, hanging out and having a hoagie and going and seeing a moving picture and and doing those kinds of things. Uh, He's still not doing that, but he's like, Oh, this is a strange land, blah, 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 blah. It still kind of reads like the Conan tales that we've talked about before, back when it was over at dark horse. Also, from the uh, the Robert E. Howard um, uh, stuff. Uh, so it because it has that feel, I was willing to go in and read this. And Conan winds up in, of all places, Las Vegas. And he needs to break into this tower to get a hold of, uh, I forget what the, the group is, but he's there's this Stygian temple that's right there in the middle of uh, Las Vegas. No one else seems to really care. It's this big spooky tower, but I guess it's part of Vegas, and people are willing to go and stay in this creepy tower as part of a hotel experience and uh, along the way Conan needs money so he robs an armored truck he meets somebody who's going to help him out and uh, by the end of the issue he is breaking into uh, the the evil guy's uh, keep in order to get back the crown and he runs into not only Black Cat but we find out the big bad that he is going to be fighting is Mephisto uh, or he's the big bad behind this miniseries um it's interesting. I like the writing. I thought the writing was handled super, super well, considering that you have a character who is displaced by uh, many different genres and time and space. Um, I like the art. I thought the art was very well done. I really don't have a lot to complain about this book, except I just I guess I just wonder why there is this push still to bring Conan into the modern uh, time period. Um, I don't know if this tale is really any different than Conan stumbling upon a city of prosperity and gambling, you know, a, a city just of gambling uh, in his own own time period. And these same events happen. The only difference is Mephisto and Black Cat. Um, 
So I guess it's okay. I mean, it's good. I mean, I enjoyed it. I definitely want to read out uh, issue two when it comes out. But I don't know. Can any of you explain to me why we need Conan in the modern Marvel Universe? Because brand synergy. Marvel so has the Avengers rights. team. That's why. Because what? Like, to put him on an Avengers team. Like, there's I, yeah. no real creative actual reason which is not to say that it couldn't be done great of course but i mean this is good i mean this is this is literally conan not part of anything uh, other marvel except for like i said when black cat uh, shows up and then mephisto Mm -hmm. in the final panel uh so uh, that's fine i really enjoyed it from that perspective but yeah the brand synergy we have the rights to it so we'll do whatever we want with it and we've convinced the the howard estate or whoever runs this uh runs this property that we can do this that's fine. I'll give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. I can't really give it four, um, but this is a really solid piece. It's solid writing, solid art, um, kind of a solid premise. I just kind of want to see where it goes um, from here. It has a lot of potential to be really, really good. I think this is one that after six issues and you read it and you're like, oh yeah, this was a really fun ride. Overall, I have hopes that the rating will rise over time. Um, but right now I think three and a half slices is a very solid, respectable, uh, meatloaf rating to give to Conan battle for the serpent crown. Number one out last week from, from Marvel comics. Uh, let's see, Rodrigo, you have a TV show. Yes. And you have a TV show that is what this is. a is this a show from Mexico? Uh, it's yes. It's a show that's made in Mexico, but it's, a um, it's, partly produced by netflix Ah, so um i think i guess i should probably look more into that because that is something that netflix does where it's like it's a netflix original and actually they didn't have anything to do with the production of it so i should i should look into that exactly how netflix is involved the important thing is that uh this is a show on netflix so okay uh for 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 americans that are interested in watching it so diablero spelled d-i-a B-L-E-R-O. Uh, I watched the second season. Um, and uh, I'm not going to spoil too many things from the first season because I'm guessing most of our listeners has, haven't seen it. Uh, but the premise of the show is um, there is a, a guy who is essentially a demon hunter, um, the titular Diablero, um, living in Mexico City. And uh, there is kind of a a greater conspiracy at work than usual that is kind of moving demons around the city. Um, The Catholic Church is involved. And so uh, by halfway through that first season, we kind of end up with a team, which is, um, you know, uh, Elvis Infante, which is our kind of main character, uh, his sister, a friend of a friend of his named Nancy, who is like a, a professional demon vessel, and then a priest. Um, and they kind of uh, go on this adventure and unravel everything that's happening. And by the end of the first season, the status quo has been shattered, and everybody's scattered to the wind, and everything has changed. And by the end of the first episode of the second season, they're kind of pretty much back to the status quo which is a little annoying honestly i was hoping that there would be more treatment of what uh basically what the new normal was and there is a very brief and kind of comical glimpse at what that is 
Um, but immediately after that, uh, the second season is back to uh, basically this big arc, uh, getting us back to what happened to the son of the main character's sister, uh, whose kidnapping features prominently into the first uh, episode, so or into the first season. So in this season, we get to see kind of how that has come down. Um, there's a lot of stuff that. Uh, so, so the style of the show is kind of, um, you know, if you like shows like Supernatural or, I don't know, Kolchak, um, mm. they've got, it's, it's got kind of something like that. Uh, but of course, it takes place in Mexico City and it's all Mexicans. So um, there are Mexican traditional uh, sort of shaman type groups. Um, there are people that are, you know, uh, basically um, healers and, and for all intents and purposes, witches uh, who do this stuff in Mexico. So that draws a lot from those uh, backgrounds, which is very interesting. It's very cool to see. Um, it's cool to have, you know, a, a guy who is uh, basically a, a pagan priest and a Catholic priest working together to, to accomplish things. Um, the second season has definitely has some issues. It uh, kind of blows over some stuff. There was some stuff that was a big deal in the first season. Uh, one of which was that women are not allowed to become diableros. Um, and then you kind of find that maybe there are some women diableros uh, in this season, they're kind of just around and nobody makes a big deal out of it. Um, even though it was like a major uh, plot point of the first one. Uh, and uh, there's kind of little stuff like that. But the interactions between the characters are good. Uh, there are like sort of these like four ongoing relationships that need to be like defined and redefined as the characters' lives changes. Those are, those are all good. Um there's one thing that happens, I think, in like the second or third episode where I was like, oh, man, I hate it when shows do this. I think I'm out. But then it like doesn't do anything. They don't do anything with it. They just kind of say it. And then like they reference it a couple of times, but nothing really comes of it. So I, it's easy to just forget that it even happened. And I don't want to say what it is because it's kind of a spoiler. Um, but altogether... Uh, I do recommend, definitely recommend the first season if you haven't seen it. Um, and then uh, if you liked it, then check out the second season and go in knowing that it's very clear that they only had the first season planned. And now they're kind of in no man's land as far as what happens next. So they're kind of just like laying down the tracks as they go. It's kind of what it feels like. But they have a good foundation. The characters are fun. The world is interesting. All the rules that they've set up, they mostly keep to. They break a couple of ones, but whatever. Um, so uh, altogether, I give the second season three and a half uh, slices of meatloaf. Um, and uh, yeah, watch it in Spanish with subtitles or watch it dubbed. Because if you watch it on Netflix, you can you can just have it dubbed. That's what, what I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask. With Parasite winning uh, the um, the Academy Award. For best picture this week, there's been a lot of discussion of people saying, I don't want to watch something that is subtitled. Yeah. I don't want to read a movie. So I, I thought I should ask if this was a a the, um, 
uh, subtitled or if it was dubbed because I've can, seen some really can, good dubs, but I've seen some really bad dubs on Netflix recently. Too. Uh, so it interestingly, I watched, uh, I watched it and I was like, well, let me see what it sounds like subbed and it sounds okay. You know, it's like, you, it's, it's never going to be perfect because Spanish has a different cadence from English. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're watching anime and one of the characters is like, are you really that guy that we spotted the other day coming out of the water out on that beach? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, things don't quite fit, but that's okay. They do. I think the dubbing team does a good job from like the little bit that I watched. Um, it's interesting. I watched, I put on the subtitles in Spanish while watching in Spanish and they cut out a lot of the cursing in the subtitles. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> so, so I don't know what's going on there. I didn't put the subtitles on in English. So that would have been another experiment to see if they keep all the cursing. They do have cursing in the dub in English um, because the characters just curse all the time, constantly. Um, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> you know, because at least it stays a little truer, although yeah. it's different. Like the cursing in, cursing in Spanish is just like a little bit different than in English. I'm sure. I, it's hard to explain. I'm sure. I mean... Um, uh... That's that's what yeah, everybody if, wants if to you, learn. Yeah, if you if you don't want to if you don't want to read the subtitles, uh, you can you can find it dubbed, and you know, fancy fancy you that you don't have to read the subtitles. Although again, if you can't read the subtitles, um, because of yeah, you can't because uh, you have some sort of like visual issue or whatever, yeah. then don't worry. The, it, it you can find it dubbed. I am just for the record, I am someone who prefers to read the dub instead of listening or read the subtitles as opposed to uh, listening to the dub. Uh, there's, there's definitely something to be said for both, especially if you have some knowledge of the language. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, so because of the cadence issues, sometimes things don't come across the same way, but at least you can hear the tone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So you're reading something and you hear the original actor emoting the way that they want to. Um, when it gets dubbed, that might get lost because it's a person in a booth. Sometimes they don't have the exact same emotion. Sometimes, I mean, there's a director basically mm -hmm. that goes in and directs a dub and they can change things purposefully or by making a mistake or, you know, whatever. There's lots of things that go into making a dub that is its own creative process, with, which like in, in a way, at least partially, changes the basics of what you're watching mm -hmm. so it's a it's a question to subs yeah. versus dubs is you know we're gonna have that forever um i don't like i'm i'm good either way i think that sometimes a dubbing team can bring a lot out of a piece uh but as long as you know that they are fundamentally changing parts of it in order to fit into the dub yeah very cool all right thank you for that uh, rodrigo i might go check that out um demon hunters yeah, yeah kind of like that uh, not to, not to, uh, you know, just be lopsided to everything Netflix. Uh, Ashley, what's going on over there in the world of the Hulus? Hey, this would have worked so much better last week. Oh, well. Because yeah. uh, we're slightly outside of the two-week timeline that we like to hold. Oh, that's okay. This is a whole season, uh, so. I'm also about to enter Tech Week, so I have no time to do anything. If you're in Los Angeles, please come see me in my play that's opening on the 20th. 
Uh, oh, so, so wait, I, wait, 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 wait. You got to play it. That's opening on the 20th. What's the name of it and where can people go see it? Oh, yeah. It's called Lucid. It is the Wallace Studio Ensemble's devised experimental theater piece that is designed to function like a dream. You can find it Neat. at the Hudson Theaters in Hollywood. The links are all over my socials, etc. Uh, so yeah, come see me in it. I have a couple comps, so reach out. Maybe I can get you in for free, especially if you're in the industry. So I'm trying to, like everyone else in this world, write a TV pilot. So I've been watching a lot of cool TV and Hulu dropped the second season of their show Shrill and I had been meaning to watch it. So I said, I'll watch this. And I watched two seasons of it in two days. So that probably already tells you what I think about it. But the show follows a character named Annie who is a journalist in Portland and she's really cute and she's not very confident and it centers around the fact that she is a plus-sized woman and it is based on um, a plus-sized woman's memoirs about, you know, trying to make it in this world and I'm not going to pretend that I have any real concept of what that is like. But I did find initially... I worried that it was going to be too marred in that. And it's not. There are, of course, scenes about like, what's it like to have to buy clothes? And what is it like to be treated this way, this way by this person because you are heavier? But what I really love about Shrill is it does focus on Annie as a three-dimensional human being. And she does have a dating life. It's not like she's not a desired um, type of person. It's not like nobody respects her. You know, her boss is a dick, but the guy who works at the desk beside her really believes in her. And so when she gets her chance and writes a great article, it feels like a real victory. And the weird thing about the first season is it spends a lot of time with her really crummy boyfriend trying to convince you that you like her really crummy boyfriend and that things are going to be okay together. And the second season does this interesting thing. And I think it's because it's set in Portland so they can tackle a lot more forward thinking issues, but they tackle what I like to call corporate feminism, which is basically where, because women are quote unquote having a moment right now, they will market all kinds of things towards a female audience under the auspices that it is empowering, even if it is not, even if it is just a consumable product. And they kind of face this character and then you, the audience, by extension with just because it's pink doesn't mean that it's something that you A, need in your life or B, is going to be helpful to you in any way. And that's something that I think about a lot, being a young woman in this world and somebody who likes to scream about women's issues. And the fact that it's packaged into this adorable 22-minute show led by A.D. Bryant, who I think is such an incredible actress and so funny. Uh, I found it really, really like moving and thoughtful and for me, modern comedies aren't always as smart as they could be. And I mm. so appreciate that this is obviously rooted in real life and in something that is very contemporary and modern. And spoiler alert, while she is tackling in a professional uh, capacity what it means to be a woman wandering through this world where everyone's trying to tell you how to be a modern woman and all women are Wonder Woman and the throw to the Oscars that just happened all women are superheroes but like God forbid we nominated anyone for anything ha 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 she's also having this personal growth around her weird icky boyfriend and kind of deciding what it means to be a modern woman dating in the world and 
how that's going to translate into her own self-worth. So you can probably extrapolate what that means for him. Who knows what his contract is and whether or not he'll be back for season three. But it's a show that I don't think enough people are talking about. And Shrill and there's another comedy called Rami that's also streaming on Hulu, which won a couple awards last season, uh, were really critically acclaimed. So I think... If you've done the obvious geek choice and binged over The Good Place and cried in the first 10 minutes until the end of the finale episode, this is a really good place to go next. I think the show is so special and I'm literally so livid that I have to wait another year for like 10 more episodes. Uh, That's one of the bad things about binge culture. I know we really like to celebrate binge culture Mm -hmm. and it can be really great because uh i can go and rewatch eight seasons of star trek deep space nine again 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 until i pass away but with new exciting stuff like this i find it very frustrating yeah 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 totally understand that okay cool i may have to check this out too i don't get to watch a lot of stuff over at hulu um but uh maybe i'll check this out add it to my list hey uh listeners uh it may be warm where you are at but we are still in winter surprise 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 and uh, wintertime means you want to stay warm, even if you're in California, Ashley, where it got up to 70 this week it's or hot. higher. You're running around in shorts. Surprisingly, I'm running around in shorts, too. But the <laughs> high, high tomorrow is only supposed to be 21. And, uh, you know, you want to bundle people up, but give them the mittens and the, and the shoes that they need to uh, stay warm this winter. And so here's the thing. Go to isotoner.com or totes.com, T-O-T-E-S.com, and use the checkout code MAJOR, M-A-J-O-R. And when you do that, you'll get 25% off anything you buy there at the uh, online store. So what are you waiting for? Isotoner.com or totes.com. Use that checkout code MAJOR. Hmm. Okay. Let us talk about Birds of Prey, The Death of Oracle from Gail Simone, Mark uh, and Draco. Uh, and uh, who do we have on the art? We have Adrian Saif and uh, who's the Gillen last March. person? Gillum March. What do we think about? Uh, first of all, who wants to give us a breakdown? Ashley, you want to give us a breakdown? You recently did on Geek History Lesson, a deep dive into the Birds of Prey. Oh, yeah. I have read like all of this era of Birds of Prey uh, because my hot take is it's the only good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm not much for modern Birds of Prey. So this is the rebirth and the reinvention of the Birds of Prey coming off the Chuck Dixon era birds of prey with possibly my all-time favorite coloring please go look at just don't if you never don't read it go look at the coloring it's so beautiful um and this is the transition of birds of prey away from a triumvirate which sometime involves catwoman into a real team where we are expanding uh, to include characters like lady blackhawk and huntress a uh, huntress already on the team i'm sorry and dove and then a little later on you get a lady hawk as well but then she dies black night and it's like no, really too bad. and so like every mm, 75 issues or so maybe 25 in the more modern stuff in a birds of prey your Oracle is going to get captured and she's going to go missing because at any given time, one member of the team and all the bad guys know that Oracle exists, but they don't know that she's Barbara Gordon. If you're not familiar, Oracle was Barbara Gordon, the first Batgirl after she was shot by the Joker and bound to a wheelchair. She became the most powerful and important character in the DC universe. And then we gave her back her legs and she was just Batgirl again. 
And this is the second time this has happened, I believe, in Birds of Prey history where we think maybe Oracle's dead and what's going to happen? And it usually happens because she spun her little Moriarty spider web a little too extravagantly and it leaves her cohorts in the lurch deciding whether or not they are going to save her. And this is a big moment for Oracle's relationship with Huntress, because even though Huntress has been in and around the Birds of Prey from their inception, uh, Babs is not too hot on Helena. And I actually think that that's kind of the coolest thing that comes out of this story in particular, um, is sort of the, the mending of the bridge between the two of them. Yeah, I can't remember which one came first, where she blew up the clock tower to uh, to hide herself or or this one. Um, Lock Tower was first. Lock Tower, yeah, and then she gets stuck in the submarine. Yeah, yeah. This is that's the one I thought we were reading when uh, when we got Death of Oracle. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this one. I, I I will agree with you. I really enjoy when Gail Simone came onto Birds of Prey because she took uh, what was a trio of characters, right? Uh, Oracle, Huntress, and um, Black, uh, Canary. Black Canary, and really formed a solid team with that. But then she started adding in, as you said, uh, Zinda, and then we get uh, just about. Um, uh, as you said, with uh, Dove, but also Cassandra Kane joins in here. You got mm-hmm. that other girl who was thinking that she was Batgirl for I mean, a hot I think second. Katana. Oh, yeah. yeah. Misfit. Who, Misfit. Yeah. Hot take, I think, is super lame, but has a cute costume. Yeah. And, and you know, she's just building, 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 building this family. And, you know, she brings in some bad guys who are she's trying to reform. She's got guys on the team. It's not just all girls on the team. And so she's built up a very formidable team in this story. And then the Riddler kind of knows who she is. Well, calculator. Yeah. Oh, calculator. Sorry. Uh, Riddler same guy. light. Same guy. They just have different addresses for tax. I know. Purposes. And then the other same guy is like, uh, what's the Kevin Smith one? Automatopoeia. There's like, they're the three. Yeah. Wordy. Yeah. Uh, so calculator figures out uh, what's going on and tries to take them down and things blow up and things get intense and biff, bam, boom. And then by the end, I mean, everybody's kind of back to status quo, right? Yeah, nothing kind of really happens, which is that's kind of my a a bit dissatisfying, if we're being honest. Yeah, I think after, you know, because this is the second time that we've seen this happen, uh, Mm -hmm. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more, uh, some more uh, jeopardy for the characters, a little bit more intensity. Uh, The other thing that I that then I kind of have a problem with this volume is, yes, there's this big thing about what happens uh, with Oracle and and uh, Dick coming in and, and trying to help and everybody, you know, playing their part, the big fight, the strip club, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then after that story's revolved, we got like six stories of just uh, two team ups, right, where we've got uh, this person and this person teaming up and this person and this person teaming up. And they don't really feel super connected to one another. And so I feel like overall, this this volume is kind of disjointed. I, 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 don't, I don't know, Matthew, what, what are your thoughts on? Uh, this story that, or this collection, I should say first the story and then the collection. I actually like the disjointedness of it because it, it feels like, you know, old school ongoing comic book storytelling, but I do agree that it's a questionable decision to package it the way that it was packaged. This is the, actually the run where I dropped uh, birds of prey. This is the run that came out of uh, brightest day. I want to say because uh, Hawk and dove came back from the dead in that mess. And, I don't know. I feel bad in some ways that I missed it because I kind of liked it. I, I like that first story up to the point where, you know, it feels like we've seen it before. 
I really like the Huntress question team up mm-hmm. because it's playing off of Gail Simone's uh, first date episode of Justice League Unlimited, mm-hmm. except this question is Renee Montoya and not Vic Sage. And I have to say, I love the Phantom Lady story. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, apologize I'm a sucker for, it. for the, I mean, the I didn't weirdo say that, backup stuff. So I, 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 like I didn't that. say they were bad. I just thought it felt very disjointed in this volume to have all those uh, other oh, stories oh, that yeah. felt like they were very much standalone. So. Well, the, again, this is the run that led us right into the new 52. Mm-hmm. This book, the last issue of this book is the month before the whole relaunch of the entire freaking universe in 2011. So it's, it's kind of a, it's Bond disjointed farewell. almost by design because it, it, those last three months. And I remember you and I had this discussion back in 2010, how for like two or three months, it just felt like an awful lot of filler Yeah, yeah where, yeah. oh, we're just doing stuff. And by the way, we know the universe is going to reset in a minute. So bye. Yeah. 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 Rodrigo, what are, what are some thoughts that you had on, on this volume? Thoughts about this volume. Uh, so I really haven't read much birds of prey. So I didn't know what had happened before. I was familiar with Oracle because, as you pointed out, at one point, uh, Oracle was the most important character in the DC universe. People were always like, Oracle, can you get AAA over here to get my car out of the... (laughs) You know, like, yeah, it was like everybody was calling Oracle for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, other than knowing the characters individually from appearances in other books, I didn't know much about the Birds of Prey. Um, I was, I guess, really thrown off about this volume because it's like the death of Oracle. And very early on, it's like, yeah, this is like Oracle is going to fake her death. And I'm like, okay. And then she kind of does, but we don't see much of it. Yeah. Um, And then people are like, oh, by the way, my condolences about Oracle dying. And I'm like, okay. And then, but also anytime they're in trouble, they literally out loud say, Oracle, how do we get out of here? You know, it's like they're not doing a very good job of it. It's like to the point where like Catwoman shows up and she's like, I know that this isn't actually a thing that happened. And like Catwoman's cool and she has a relationship with like the Bat family. But she's not like a super duper mega smart person like your Riddlers or calculators. And I'm like, if Catwoman can figure it out, presumably so will anybody else whose whole deal is that they're smart. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I'm just like reading through this and I'm like, what are you, what are you getting at book? And it, it makes <laughs> a little bit more sense to know that this all happened sort of in the lead up to the new 52, because yeah, there is some stuff that seems like a holding pattern and there is some stuff that seems like it should mean more and just kind of drops or maybe doesn't drop maybe it's like up in the air and characters are like well what does this mean for us and i'm like yeah what does this mean for you and it just kind of we just kind of never find out yep you'll Um, never find out yeah so again it makes more sense to know that well this is probably a, a story that couldn't mean too much that mm-hmm. you know was there to mm-hmm. to sort of be a placeholder and still trying to generate some fun and still have stakes and still have things matter but it can't it like it can't be too good it can't be too fun because we're actually about to reset this whole <laughs> mother you know yeah yeah where actually where does this story fall in your 
in your scope of birds of prey like dislike um you know uh linear diagram it's fine ah uh, mine pretty uh-huh. much goes mine pretty much goes uh the Chuck Dixon series is great. Mm-hmm. That Girl and the Birds of Prey from Rebirth is pretty good. This is pretty good. And then everything else doesn't exist in my headcanon. I see. And to be fair, there's only kind of three eras of Birds of Prey, and that's mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I guess I'm the same uh, way, too. There's like, the Chuck Dixon like era, the there's the Gail more, Simone like era, the and then there's more, the other. Yeah, the much more serious take that Chuck Dixon gives it. But um, listeners, like my bias is so toward... Chuck Dixon, late 90s, early aughts. And that's exactly what this is. Um, so when Gail Simone takes over, she and she brings a lot more characters into it and diffuses it with a lot of humor. And I totally get what she's going for. And it's it's an interesting choice. And it's it's kind of too bad that it doesn't get fully explored. But uh, there's part of my brain that's like, mm, this isn't my Birds of Prey. You yeah, know what yeah, I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you get introduced to the Birds of Prey? I knew about the Birds of Prey when they were happening because I was okay. reading all the Robin stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I read it until much late, until like the 2010s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because didn't it, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it here in front of me. If I'm not mistaken, didn't that show up as a showcase series? And then become Birds of Prey after that, Matthew? Yes, it was a mini-series, okay. yeah. Okay. It was a series of one-shots, because I remember buying the first one-shot off the stands. Okay, for he some said, reason I thought it was part of, like, Showcase 93 or something like that. Uh, there was stuff in Showcase 93 that had Black Canary in it. Okay. But the, the Birds of Prey thing kind of came together in the Birds of Prey one-shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Was like, that's why I thought it I was, like... I want to say 98? That's why I thought it was the the spin-up was in showcase and then they were like, no, this is so popular. It deserves its own series. And Chuck Dixon's like, okay, here's a like a four or six issue mini. And then that went on from there. So there was a couple of minis like in the first, I think, two or it's either two or three short series. It's basically just Babs and Dinah and uh, okay. some other characters yeah. kind of show up every once in a while. Yeah. But you get a lot of Catwoman in those first couple of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so you also, a, I mean. This is this is a in the strictest sense. This is almost a second Gail Simone era. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would agree with you. Yes, because the first Gail Simone started in twenty two thousand three around issue fifty, and then the book got canceled, and then mm-hmm. came back under somebody else. I think maybe Tony Bedard, and then Gail came back to it uh, in the brightest day, and that's when she brought in uh, uh, some of the it. changes. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you on on. Uh... I don't think I disagree with anybody. I think this is fine. Um, mm-hmm. This probably isn't one of my, it probably isn't a great example of a Birds of Prey um, series. I think there's much more better volumes that you could probably track down on this. Um, but I mean, it's fine for what it is. Uh, if you're looking for adventure, if you're looking for some snarky comments, if you're looking for um, uh, some good times at the strip club, uh, this yeah. volume definitely has it for you. Some some Nazi punching in the fifties, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Black Canary's mom and Zinda back when mm-hmm. she was, you know, before she was sent forward in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there something that really puts you off on this volume, uh, Rodrigo? Um, uh, I guess there is. There are a few art instances that really I'm not crazy about. Let me see where where about they are. Um. 
it's like right at the end of like the actual arc, I want to say. Mm. Well, now I'm having trouble finding them. No, that's fine. But so some of the art you had some problems. Yeah, some of the some of the art. Oh, here we go. So this would be, um, right out pages, a uh, page around eighty four. It's kind of this fight. Okay. Um. So this is the issue, uh, the De- death of Oracle conclusion, conclusion. Yeah. Okay. So the final issue in that. Yeah, the final issue in the in that arc. I don't know. I'm just. I was really wasn't feeling it. Um. I I just. Uh. The art here is by. And now I've lost it again. But anyway, okay, yeah, I, I was crazy about the art in some instances, and because there are so many artists, you see a lot of different takes. I mean, it's nice. It's like simultaneously good and a problem that at least that like three of the birds of prey are just like pretty blonde ladies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but also when you go across different artists, sometimes especially if they're in plain clothes you see them and you're like well which one's this one right it's like they they have to like either talk or they have to get like their little intro box for you to be like oh okay so this is black canary and that other blonde over there is lady blackhawk Mm -hmm. right so one of the interesting things and i think this is a kind of a discussion that some people are having right now uh, online um Oracle is, or which one is not a big fan of Huntress? Um, it's Oracle, right, Ashley? Is, that's what you said yes, earlier? Yes, yeah. And I, I think that's interesting because Huntress has always been one of those uh, vigilante types that um, she's okay with killing if it needs to happen. Um, and she wants to be part of the Bat family, but Batman for years has always been like, no, stay away. You don't belong here. And she keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And so, you know, for the Birds of Prey, the question of, you know, should Huntress be on the team when she's kind of a bad person or should we bring Catwoman on as part of the team or even when Poison Ivy becomes part of the team? Uh, I think there's some questions about where do where do quote unquote bad characters uh, belong in this. And I think that's uh, kind of spun up uh, recently with Harley Quinn being part of the Justice League. Right. Um, it, it just seems kind of off on that. Is, is that a problem with Birds of Prey? For you to have. I mean, not- I see that as a problem with any team. And I hate the term antihero because what's the opposite of a hero? It's a villain. So I I don't have room for characters who are gray morally on my super teams. I think Barbara's absolutely right. And Andrew should not be there. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, do you have thoughts on that? I do. It's difficult to deal with some of the status quo changes simply because of the way comic books work. I, for the life of me, cannot wrap my round my brain around the people who tell me that poison ivy is a hero but i feel like you didn't if you didn't gonna, read convergence like the rest of us were forced to matthew <laughs> I read convergence. i've read i've read a lot of things i poison Are ivy you bitter steven i am very bitter about convergence Who's the one who said, let's read all these? Oh, because I thought it would be good and fun and let's bring back these classic characters. And then it turned into total poo. But I mean, if you're looking for redemption for Poison Ivy, uh, Convergence was that place for it. So no, no, because that wasn't the real Poison Ivy. No, it wasn't. That's the other problem, right? Okay. anyway, go on. But here's the thing. When it comes to certain characters, I feel like if you're going to get away with it anywhere, the birds of prey could do it. Uh, Let me just start that again. Three, two, one. If you're going to do this anywhere, if you're going to get away with the anti-hero, 
the Birds of Prey are a place to do it because they're essentially a kind of a black ops team. Mm -hmm. And even though Oracle is definitely moral and really cool and part of the Bat family, the things that she does and the missions that they undertake are not standard superhero missions. They are missions that you know, require somebody to do this. Like in, you know, in 2005, when they're like, the Avengers really need somebody who needs to kill people. Okay, you've made your point. Now you can bring Wolverine onto the team. You have that justification in a, in a Justice League or in Avengers where you have to say, this is an officially sanctioned super team of the United Nations. Also, that murderous guy hangs out with them sometimes. Yeah. Whereas with Birds of Prey, this is meant to be a weird, loose, secret affiliation of people who work for, you know, or with Oracle when they can. So having the Huntress in here, or to a lesser degree, the question, who's definitely kind of a fringe element, yeah. having those characters in here, I, th I feel like it works. The failure in this to me is Hawk and Dove. Oh, you think? I thought I was going to say, uh, what's his name? Creote is uh, not a... Nah, Creote and Savant are fine. They're they're Gail Simone created characters, and she does things with them. And no one else does anything with Creote and Savant because they don't care. It's kind of well, like you know that, there are characters true. that only show up in Jerry Conway comics, and that's fine. Yeah, you know, or Steve Englehart will always find a way to bring back Mantis, even if he's working at DC. But I feel like Hawk and Dove are on this team for one reason, and that's because the unofficial team name is Birds of Prey. Yeah, they they don't fit thematically. They don't fit as characters. They are they are here weirdly the most regular white bread superhero ever, which is strange yeah, like because capes and it, tights. Right in the '60s, they weren't that. In the '70s, they weren't that. Hawk and Dove were not these you know straightforward hero types that they're portrayed here in most of their existence and i i maybe i'm a traditionalist if you're gonna have a team that is traditionally all women and you're gonna bring in that male character like hawk you're going to want to make a justification for that even if just a brief sort of it's a package deal he comes with dove mm -hmm. but they don't do that because they don't want dove around either <laughs> Yeah. Throughout this, it, Black Canary and Oracle and Huntress all are like, why is Dove even here? And I'm like, I agree with you. Why is Dove even here? And why did she bring her weirdo Lord of Order boyfriend with her? I don't know. That's the thing that always feels off to me. And it's kind of telling that after that first six issue arc, Hawk completely disappears. And then Dove comes back for a minute. And then Dove disappears for like the last five issues of the book. It's just. It's in. It didn't make any sense to me, and it's it's annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, final thoughts, Rodrigo, on this volume. Um, jumping into this volume was a little disconcerting. I didn't know what was going on, and because it's ongoing superhero comics, it's uh, you know, there's there's just so so much that has happened that that it's hinging on. So it was just kind of hard for me to get a hold of it. Um, mm -hmm. as far as individual stuff, you know, I it's. Gail Simone, so I like when characters are like talking to each other. That's always fun. Um, but uh, there kind of generally wasn't much for me to grip onto here. I, I'm not a big Birds of Prey fan. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I wasn't into the art a lot of the time. So it's kind of a borrow from the library possibly after you've read the volume right before this. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to agree with you on that. I'm going to say that uh, there are some really good Birds of Prey stories out there, and I would encourage you to go hunt them down. Uh, I really enjoy this team a lot. I think when 
uh, all the members are firing correctly and they all have their spot as opposed to just that one walk on moment where they're just standing around in panel going, hey, uh, I think that this series really rocks hard when everybody is being engaged in the story, or at least all the team members are being engaged in the story. And that's that's on the writer uh, to do that. Uh, so I think there are some really good Birds of Prey stories out there for people. This is one that it's the end of the run. It's the end of the series. Um, it wasn't the death of Oracle that I thought it was, uh, but it's it's still OK. Um, I would probably agree with Rodrigo. Go check it out from the library. Uh, Matthew, let's hear from you. Every year, Stephen says to me, we should put together a reading order. And I say, okay. And Stephen says, we need this Birds of Prey volume. And I said, okay. And he said, we need Death of Oracle. And I'm like, well, he said the name specifically, so that's clearly what he wants. So that's definitely what we're going to cover. Yeah, I was really but thinking I, the other but one. But it's, it's that's not okay. what you meant. No, no, and no. And I thought, I, I thought at the time it was not what you meant. But I also, you know, occasionally I, I, I don't always question you because sometimes For some you reason, yell at I, me and it makes I me sad. I want to say maybe it's that Birds of Prey Volume 3 is that one. I don't remember. I, the, I think This it's, is Birds of Prey Volume 2, but it's Volume 2 of Volume 2. I okay. think what you really wanted was Birds of Prey Volume 1, the third trade paperback of The Hunt for yes. Oracle. Yes, that one. Rather that's than the, the one. Death of Oracle. Correct. But again, I don't necessarily that's already ask the title of a Birds of Prey book. My, right. Mine is not to reason why. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's fine. I feel like, it, as Birds of Prey goes... This is really pretty okay. I feel like the best parts of it are the parts that play with abnormal bits of stuff. The best parts of it are, hey, here's the Phantom Lady, or here's Batman right back from the dead being an actual decent person, or here's this weirdo superhero who's gonna, who's never ever not killed anybody with her terrible psychic powers, and she's gonna fail miserably, and Black Canary's gonna kick her until she goddamn dies. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's not the best, but it's it's pretty okay. It's a it's a McDonald's cheeseburger of Birds of Prey. I feel. Yeah, uh, Ashley, we are going to give you the final word this week. Um, I don't know if I have anything to say that everyone else hasn't said. I think if you uh, enjoyed the Birds of Prey movie, I think this is a perfectly good volume to pick up. I think there are better ones to pick up. I think that if you are enjoying making your way through Birds of Prey stories, this is a great one to check out towards the middle slash end of your uh, adventure. So I would definitely say borrow from a friend or get from the library. It's not the best Birds of Prey story, but it's it's super fun. So why not? Yeah, there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers Experience. As always, we love to hear your feedback, so make sure to use the comments section at Majorspoilers.com to give us your feedback and your complaints and your love and your hate and your everything for this issue. Or even better, send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash spoilers. Barring serious illness or the world coming to an end, we will be back next week because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face. Craven, and I don't 
This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.